By the end of the third millennium BC, humanity's plight looked pretty bleak. In history class, if you remember, you probably learned about the development of the quote-unquote earliest civilizations at this time, primarily Egypt and Mesopotamia, maybe to a lesser extent the Minoans, the Indus Valley civilizations, and also the likely Chinese civilization. But what was life really like in Egypt and Mesopotamia? Well, for the kings and for the elite, life was probably as good as it was going to get. But for everyone else, life was probably the nasty, brutish, and short type of life spoken of by Thomas Hobbes in Leviathan. In a Mesopotamian particular, people believed the gods had made them out of the blood of a defeated and killed god, and they were made to work the fields and provide food for the gods so they would not have to work the fields anymore, in their great creation story we know as Enuma Elish. So people were living without a whole lot of hope. They dedicated their lives to gods we don't recognize anymore and who provided them no real hope or confidence in the present or in the hereafter. Their city-state might prosper at the moment, but then would just as equally likely get overrun by another city-state, which would often lead to slavery or death for the inhabitants. In this world, there was no real knowledge of Yahweh, the God of heaven. They had all turned aside to gods of their own manufacture. Now, we could imagine a timeline in which this situation continually perpetuated itself. Well, technology might improve, but the fundamentals would remain the same. What kind of existence would that be? But it was toward the end of the 3rd millennium B.C. in Mesopotamia, during which a man heard a voice, and nothing would be the same again. That man was Abraham, whom God would later rename Abraham, and he and his family hailed from the land of the Sumerians, may have been a Sumerian or mixed Akkadian stock, and they served idols, according to Joshua 24 and verse 2 and Genesis 11, uh, 27 through 12 and verse 1. God would appear or speak to Abraham on multiple occasions, often establishing promises to Abraham if he would faithfully follow God. Now, as far as we can tell from all evidence, knowledge of the God of heaven had been lost by this time. Abraham and his family had served idols, likely the Mesopotamian pantheon. Nothing would have prepared Abraham for receiving the call and promises of God. At least in the Genesis text itself, nothing is presented which suggested that God had given witness to Abraham of anything that he had formerly done so as to engender faith in him. If you explore a lot of the Midrashic stories of uh, Abraham uh, in Jewish literature, they act like he's already this kind of prototypical monotheistic champion. And we can understand and sympathize why you would want to look at him that way, but there's just no real evidence for that whatsoever. In Genesis chapter 12, we read that Yahweh said to Abraham, Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse, so that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. To your descendants I will give this land. So from the very beginning, from the first time God calls Abraham, the contours of the promise are laid out. God would make a great nation of him. He would make his name great and give him prosperity. He would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. The nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, and the land of Canaan would be given to Abraham's descendants. And this is all promised to a 75-year-old who currently has no children and a wife who is 10 years his junior. The end of chapter 13, after Lot had departed for the lands to the Transjordan, Yahweh said to Abraham, Look from the place where you stand, to the north, south, east, and west. I will give all the land that you see to you and your descendants forever. 
And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also can be counted. Get up and walk throughout the land, for I will give it to you. So God reaffirms this land promise. Now Lot has gone across the Jordan River, so on the west side of the Jordan River, that's going to be the land Abraham's descendants inherit. And it would be given to them nolam, often understood as forever in Hebrew, but also no less than long duration, as we will see. In chapter 15, now he promised to be Abraham's shield and reward him abundantly. But Abraham was concerned because his current inheritor was Eliezer of Damascus. Yahweh promised him a son as an heir from his own body. And we're told in chapter 15 and verse 6 that Abraham trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the land was again promised to the descendants of Abraham, but this time Abraham wanted some kind of confirmation. And so he was told to uh, do a few ritualistic things. And in the night he received a vision, a message from God. The Yahweh said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign country. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, but I'll execute judgment on the nation that they will serve. Afterward, they will come out with many possessions. But as for you, you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its limit. And that's from Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16. And so in this way, Yahweh foretells Abraham's death, the exodus, and the conquest. And then, at the end of that chapter, to uh, that day Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And thus God defines the scope of the land promised to Abraham. Now, when he is 99 years old, in chapter 17, Yahweh appears to him and said, I am sovereign God. Walk before me and be blameless. Then I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will give you a multitude of descendants. Abraham bowed down with his face to the ground, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abraham. Instead, your name will be Abraham, because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will descend from you. I will confirm my covenant as a perpetual covenant between me and you. It will extend to your descendants after you throughout their generations. I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give you the whole land of Canaan, the land where you now are residing, to you and your descendants after you as a permanent possession. I will be their God. Though again, God confirms his promise and magnifies it. And it seems all the more challenging since Abraham is 99, his wife 89, and all he has is a child by proxy. Kings would descend from Abraham. Again, the nolam uh, is that word behind permanent possession in Genesis 17 and verse 8. Now, God would go on to give the sign of circumcision to Abraham in Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, you must no longer call her Sarai. Sarah will be her name. I will bless her and will give you a son through her. I will bless her, and she will become a mother of nations. Kings of countries will come from her. Then Abraham bowed down with his face to the ground and laughed as he said to himself, Can a son be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a perpetual covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will indeed bless him. Make him fruitful and give him a multitude of descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes. I will make him into a great nation. 
But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. Genesis 17, 15 through 21. And thus God has specified the descendant of Abraham who would be and receive the promise. That's Isaac, son of Abraham, and Isaac in their old age. And this is again affirmed in chapter 18, verses 9 through 16. Now, Abraham, understandably, is a bit incredulous. And what if God instead choose Ishmael? Uh, Provision was made for Ishmael, but he is not the son of the promise. And this is again confirmed in Genesis 21 and verse 13. The promise comes again to Abraham in chapter 22, after he had proven willing to sacrifice his own son. Yahweh's angel called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I solemnly swear by my own name, decrees Yahweh, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. And I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be as countless as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the strongholds of their enemies. Because you have obeyed me, all the nations of the earth will pronounce blessings on one another using the name of your descendants. Verses 15 through 18. And so here is the affirmation of the promise again that Abraham's descendants would be a great multitude and would have military success. And we make special note of verse 18, that in Abraham's seed, singular, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And these are the promises that God had made to Abraham. Abraham trusted in God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. But would God prove faithful to Abraham? God promised Abraham a son in his old age, and it came to pass with Isaac in Genesis 21, 1-7. God promised Abraham he would prosper and die in good old age. He had great wealth and lived to be 175 years old in Genesis 25, 1-8. God had promised to make a great nation of Ishmael with many descendants and princes. Ishmael's descendants would become the Arabians, and they remain quite numerous, and they have many princes, Genesis 25, 12-18. God promised that Isaac would be the child of promise, and a great nation and multitude of descendants would come through him. The descendants of Isaac would gain blessings and military victories, but only after spending time in bondage. The Edomites and Israelites would be Isaac's descendants. The Israelites would inherit the promise and would become twelve tribes and many hundreds of thousands, as we can see in Genesis 25 and also in Exodus through Esther, the main historical narratives of the Old Testament. Over 400 years after Abraham's death, Yahweh would appear to Moses and he would say, Go and bring together the elders of Israel and tell them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have attended carefully to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey in Exodus 3, 16-17. And in this way Israel endured 400 years of bondage, and Yahweh delivered them. Yahweh promised to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants, and as it is written, in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, So Yahweh gave Israel all the land he had solemnly promised to their ancestors, and they conquered it and lived in it. Yahweh made them secure in fulfillment of all he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could resist them. Yahweh handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of the faithful promises of Yahweh to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Every one was realized. Now, there are some who want to question the fulfillment of land promise in the days of Joshua because it was not as expansive as what seemed to be promised in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, from the Euphrates River to the River of Egypt. And yet in 1 Kings 4, 20 through 21, it is written regarding Solomon, The people of Judah and Israel were as, as numerable as the sand on the seashore, and they had plenty to eat and drink and were happy. Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These kingdoms paid tribute to Solomon's subjects throughout his lifetime. 
We can have also no doubt that the king's author is intentionally evoking the promises to Abraham when writing as much. So Israel of old understood Yahweh as having fulfilled all of his promises to Abraham. So we have seen how Yahweh has proven faithful to his promises to Abraham. His descendants were indeed a great multitude. Kings and princes descended from him. His descendants were rescued from slavery and were given the land in which he had sojourned. They obtained military victories and great blessings. But what about that promised blessing to all the nations of the earth? Well, it was God's great purpose for Israel to be that blessing for the earth if they would abide in his commandments and display God's chesed or covenant loyalty for all to see. God's purpose for Israel, however, was frustrated by Israel's persistent rebellion because Israel did not honor Yahweh as their true and only God. They served other gods. They committed exploitation and oppression, just as the prophets testified. Thus, there was nothing truly distinct about Israel. No blessing could come through them in that condition. Yahweh had proven faithful to Abraham, yet the rebellion of Israel led to the loss of control over the land in 722 and 586 B.C., a period of exile, and a return to the land in 540-ish B.C., but not control over it, save for a brief period that we would put maximally between 167 and 63 B.C. in the days of the Hasmoneans. But there was one prophesied who would redeem the story of Israel and thus could be that blessing for all the nations, the Christ of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Israel had continually rebelled and sinned. Jesus, in Hebrews 4, 15, 5, 7 through 8, learned obedience through what he suffered and was tempted but did not sin. Jesus fully submitted to the will of his Father, and the Father glorified him, in Matthew 26, 39, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In speaking of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 22 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul bore witness in Galatians 3.16 that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his descendant. Scripture does not say, and to the descendants, referring to many, but and to your descendant, referring to one who is Christ. Thus, from the beginning, God foreknew Israel's deficiency, and he made provision by making the promise reach its full manifestation through Jesus of Nazareth. So the promise to Abraham only fully received its fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. So we speak of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and lordship of Jesus as completely changing the world. And for good reason, and rightly so. But the event and experience which had come before that proved quite transformative involved Abraham and this promise. Because in a time and place in which no one knew the God of heaven, God called Abraham. And to Abraham, the promises which would undergird all future promises were made. And what animated the promises and the hope? What made Abraham so extraordinary? It was his faith. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15 and verse 6, and quoted by Paul in Romans 4 and verse 3. And thus in verse 13 of Romans 4, Paul says that the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not fulfilled through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Later on, he would say against hope, Abraham believed in hope, with the result that he became the father of many nations according to the pronouncement, so will your descendants be. Without being weak in faith, he considered his own body as dead, because he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief about the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to do. So indeed, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. By faith, we're told by the Hebrews author, in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. 
that Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance. And he went out without understanding where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the promised land as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So, in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of the stars in the sky and like the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then he would continue the Hebrews author. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had received the promises, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. God had told him, through Isaac, descendants will carry on your name. And he reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from there. So in a world in which knowledge of God had been lost or distorted, Abraham believed. Abraham trusted when there was no earthly reason to trust. The promises would take many years to find their fulfillment, long after Abraham would pass away for the majority of them. And yet Abraham believed. The promise, as we have said, really finds its fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. So much is made these days about Abraham's descendants in the flesh, the Israelites and the Arabs, whether and how the Israelites continue to have a claim to Palestine or not, and so on and so forth. They've been saturating the news for who knows how long now. But for Christians, these should not be issues at all, because the fleshly provisions of God's promises to Abraham found their fulfillment in the days of the conquest, at the latest the days of Solomon. And notice how they understood those promises to have been fulfilled satisfied in the past tense. Israel, according to the flesh, could not be the vessel of God's blessings to the world because they proved persistently rebellious against God's purposes. Now, however uncomfortable it might be for how we understand the promises of spoken in Genesis, the history is very hard to deny. The promises were reckoned as fulfilled by around 1400 BC for taking the maximal viewpoint, and they reached their apex around 960 BC in the days of Solomon. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel are swept away in 722, and they mostly assimilate into the Assyrian milieu. The kingdom of Judah was eliminated in 586 BC. The land was emptied of Jewish people for 70 years, and afterward it was not under Jewish control, save for a brief moment between 167 to 63 BC and until 1948, with the establishment of the modern state of Israel. And even then, since the year 70, there have been no temple, no sacrifices, no priestly service, and therefore no ability to fulfill the covenant obligations as expressed in the law of Moses. Jesus of Nazareth, in Matthew 5, 13-14, came to fulfill. And so he fulfilled the story of Israel, bringing it to its culmination in his resurrection in, his, in the kingdom. He was the descendant of Abraham through whom God would bless the nations of the earth. For Jesus proved faithful, where Israel had been faithless. And Jesus himself understood and set forth how faith in God would no longer be tied to geographic locations, or for that matter, specific nations and peoples. In John 4, 20-24, he talks about how you will not go to Gerizim or Zion to worship God, but that you will worship God in spirit and in truth. 
In chapter 10, verse 16, he appealed to the fact that he had sheep in another flock uh, that's away from there, recognizing the ingathering of the Gentiles. And as Paul sought to make very clear, the promise was never about the law. The promise flowed from faith, and the promise remains for those who share in that faith. And thus in Romans 4, 16 through 17, for this reason it is by faith so that it may be by grace, with the result that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are under the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the presence of God, whom he believed, the God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not exist as though they already do. And then Galatians 3, 5 through 9, does God then give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, all the nations of the, will be blessed in you. So then those who believe are blessed with Abraham. The believer. So the promise came through Abraham because Abraham is the exemplar. He entrusted himself to God to leave a land and nation to become a father of many nations. To this day, the blessings still come to the children of Abraham, but they're no longer to be understood according to the genetics, according to the flesh, but it's according to the faith of Abraham, that the descendants of Abraham are those who share in the faith of Abraham. So God gave Abraham great promises that would be delivered to his descendants. The physical aspects of those promises met their fulfillment in the early Iron Age, but the ultimate blessing comes through Abraham's descendant, who existed before Abraham, Jesus of Nazareth. And so God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Jesus. Thus the descendants of Abraham who received the promise are not necessarily according to the flesh, but according to faith embodied in those who share the same faith Abraham had in God, who trust in the God who is unseen but proves loyal to covenant, trust in the God who is the God of the living, not the dead, and who can bring forth life where there had been death, trust in that God who suffered and was glorified and abounding in blessings. And in this way, those who share Abraham's faith have the hope of the resurrection and the life. And may we be Abraham's children by faith and thus find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so glad you joined us today. If you have any questions or comments about the promise to Abraham and how it meets his fulfillment, we'd love for you to uh, ask them or have your comments and uh, wherever you found us here and to continue our conversation. To subscribe to us where you found us. And I'm Ethan. We, I'm with the Venice Church of Christ. We are uh, a non-denominational church of Christians making Christians here in Los Angeles. We'd love to be of encouragement and service to you if you would like for us to pray for you. If you... Uh, have a Bible correspondence course you'd like to take, or have a Bible study, or you'd like to come meet with us. Any way we can be of service, please let us know. Please reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. You can also find us on uh, so many forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Blue Sky, Twitter, uh, Threads, YouTube, TikTok, and mostly at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you, and may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.